Good morning. What is a seasonally appropriate sermon anyway? Around this time of year, it is late December. Most people are talking about or thinking about or singing about the, the coming of the, the Christ King. They're talking about the baby born in Bethlehem and laid in a manger on his first night in this world. And I think that is perfectly okay to talk about in late December. Everyone else is talking about it. Why shouldn't we, who worship the newborn King every Lord's Day, take the time to say, well, if we're going to talk about Christ every Sunday, and everyone else is talking about Christ's birth this Sunday, let's talk about Christ's birth this Sunday too. But let's not just limit it to Jesus and his being born uh, and laid in the Bethlehem manger. Why don't we also reflect on the whole city of Jesus' birth? And as a matter of fact, Bethlehem itself is, is abundant in Scripture. The references to it and the, the significance of that, that famous city extend far beyond just the little sliver of reference in Luke chapter 2. So while thinking about the birth of Jesus, I think it's appropriate, even seasonally appropriate, to reflect on the birthplace of Jesus. So let's take a few minutes and just talk about that. In fact, let's look at three things that have to do with Bethlehem this morning. Let's consider the meaning of the name, and there's great significance to it. Let's also reflect on the origin of the place. Where, where do we first read about it in Scripture? And then, just for fun, let's consider some famous residents beyond just Jesus of Nazareth, who was born in Bethlehem. Starting with the meaning of the name, probably the best place to begin is from a prophecy made by the prophet Micah in Micah 5.2 where the prophet says, But thou, Bethlehem Ephrata, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall come forth me that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from old and from everlasting. Of course, Micah the prophet writes the text, but he's speaking on behalf of God who inspired him. And so God is declaring that the city of Bethlehem is going to bring into the world the Savior, who is the Eternal One, the one whose goings forth have been from old and everlasting, who always has been and ever shall be. But there are, in fact, more than one city in, in the Judean region or the broader scope of the Bible lands with the name Bethlehem. And so it's significant and important that Micah specifies just which one he's talking about. He calls it Bethlehem Ephrata. This is the particular Bethlehem that will bring forth the king. This is the particular place that will first be the home, for a short time, the home of the Christ who came into this world. And so you have those two names that are very significant, Bethlehem and Ephrata. The region uh, is identified, therefore, through those two names, Judah, the, the, the tribe from which Jesus uh, hailed, the Judean region, and, of course, the city in particular, Bethlehem. Bethlehem, the name, the word Bethlehem means house of bread. Now, typically, when you learn about uh, the, the names and the meanings of things, especially in the Bible, usually the meaning comes first and the name kind of forms as a result of the meaning of the place. They come to a place and they call it as a result of something and then it just sticks and it becomes the name of that location. But in this case, the name came first and then the meaning. Bethlehem met house of bread from the beginning of history, but over time it just came to live up to that meaning. Uh, and it became a place that is uh, regionally renowned for it's charity. It was a place that poor and needy people would go to be given basic necessities. It was a common charitable place if I was poor and I needed bread. It was the house of bread made available to me. In this culture, uh, the, the culture of the New Testament era, a family was only considered poor if they could not afford 
the the means to bake a daily loaf of bread. That was kind of the, the baseline assumption for what was considered poverty in that era. And families who could not find a loaf, either for free or for cheap, in Bethlehem, they could go and they could attain one to help provide for their families. Of course, your mind probably goes to Jesus when you hear the phrase house of bread because Jesus fed 5,000 people with just a few scraps of bread and fish. And he was born in the house of bread and then later miraculously fed people with bread just like the city of his birth is famous for helping people who are in need by giving them bread. Just little connections like that just make me smile when I think about how God probably knew everything, well certainly didn't know everything that was coming, but probably had that in mind in particular when he arranged the whole creation and salvation process before time began. And so it was also Jesus who encouraged us to pray for our daily bread and to have that daily reliance on God that he would perpetually provide for us. And sure enough, if you can't attain your daily bread, you can go to Bethlehem and God will provide it there. Just like when I can't get myself through life struggles, I can go to Christ who was born in the house of bread and I can get help there with him. That's Bethlehem. But remember, Micah says Bethlehem Ephrata. Ephrata means basket of fruit, fruitfulness. Basket of fruitfulness. But not fruit like apples and oranges and things like that. Not a literal fruit basket. This is fruit like offspring. Like the fruit of, of your uh, marriage to your, your spouse. You bear children as a result of that marriage. They are the fruit of your loins, as the old saying would go. Well, this is the phrase to be fruitful and multiple, be fruitful and multiply. Well, that's this idea. A basket of fruitfulness is like we would say in our culture, he's got a house full of kids, uh, like many houses are around the holidays. Everyone comes home for Christmas or comes home for Thanksgiving, and they stay till New Year's, and it's like being a kid again with all the, the kids back at home. Uh, if you're an older sibling, you're back in your element. But I can't help but have my mind go to God's spiritual children. God's Christians, how we are part of a family of God in Jesus Christ, thanks to our adoption by Jesus Christ into that family. It's an adoption made possible by the one, by birth son of God, whereas we are born again spiritually, whereas he was born physically the child of God. We are born spiritually and thus adopted by Jesus into the family of God. So we are, we are all of us, thanks to Christ, part of God's basket of fruitfulness, part of his house of kids. And that's made possible through our Savior, who was born in the basket of fruitfulness. Now let's think about also the origin of Bethlehem, because it has some fascinating things behind its biblical history. Let's look at Genesis 35, for example. Genesis 35, starting in verse 15. Let's read 15 and 16 to begin with, where Moses writes, Jacob called the name of the place where God spoke with him Bethel. And they journeyed from Bethel, and there was a little way till they came to Ephrata. And Rachel travailed, that means to say, with labor. Uh, in fact, it says right after that, and she had hard labor. Rachel, of course, the wife of Jacob, is going to go into labor, and it's going to be a difficult labor. In fact, she's going to lose her life soon after. Notice verse 18 and 19 of Genesis 35. It came to pass, as her soul was in departing, for she died. Or that's the Hebrew way, the phraseology of saying, this is what's going to happen, so this is what's leading up to it. That she called his name, the name of her son, Benoni. But his father, Jacob, called him Benjamin. And Rachel died and was buried in the way to Ephrath, or Ephrata, which is Bethlehem. Jacob has just talked with God on the site that would later become what we know as Bethlehem. And he pours out a drink offering on that site in worship to God. Remember that. 
The place where they conversed was named by Jacob, Bethel, which is, of course, from the root word that we get Bethlehem. And it was on that place when an important son of Jacob was born. Unfortunately, there are complications, as you can read. The child survives, but the mother dies. But just before the mother dies, she calls out the name of her son, and she wants the name of the son to be Benoni. Now, Moses records that Rachel is buried in Ephrata, which would later encompass Bethel and would all of a sudden uh, eventually come to be known as Bethlehem. But again, Rachel wanted her son to be named Benoni, which means son of my sorrow. Now, obviously, that's a knee-jerk reaction. Here she is in great pain. Maybe she doesn't know she's about to die, but she's had a hard labor. And so she names her son something that reflects that. This is the child of my sorrow. And then she passes from this world. But then Jacob comes in and says, no, we're going to name him Benjamin, a phrase which means the son of my right hand. So Jacob is more forward-looking. He says, yes, there is sorrow now, but not sorrow forever. He is always going to be my son. He's always going to be my child. He's going to be the son of my right hand. So both mother and father wanted to name their son something reflective of them. The mother says, the mother's son is the son of my sorrow. But the father says, the father's son is the son of my right hand. That's significant. And it makes me think of Jesus. Because Jesus to Mary is something different from Jesus to God, his father. And he's the same being. But they would look at him differently. A mother sees her son differently than a father does. That's just nature. Mary is going to see Jesus differently than God the Father sees him, though it's his son too. Mary sees this person that she has brought up from the manger up to adulthood and reared him amazingly, just exactly like God knew that she would, which is why she was chosen. He was a faithful man. He was a devout friend. He was a, a loyal Jew. He was everything God wanted in a, in a person, which is why he came in the form of man in the first place. And Mary had a huge role in that. She helped raise that person who would become Jesus of Nazareth, the great prophet and Messiah and king. But then he goes to the cross and he suffers and he bleeds and he dies. And Mary is there at the foot of Jesus on the cross, looking up at her son dying for her sin, dying for her and for the sins of everyone around her. And you know she's thinking, this is the son of my sorrow. She's not thinking, she's not thinking, well, this is all for the best because he's dying to help me. What mother is going to say, let my son die for me? What mother is going to say, let my child die for my mistakes? No mother would do that. And yet here is Mary having to watch her son die for her. Yes, he is a son of her sorrow. But God's going to look at Jesus differently. God's going to look at the big picture. He's going to see the sorrow in the moment, but he's going to look long term and he's going to say forevermore, this will be the son of my right hand. Listen to Hebrews 1 verse 5. For unto which of the angels did God say at any time, thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. And again, I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. God never said that to the angels, but to Jesus he did. Hebrews 1.13. To which of the angels did he say at any time, sit at my right hand till I make thy enemies thy footstool. It was only to Jesus that he said, you're the son of my right hand. You are my child. So yes, there is great sorrow in the death of Jesus. And Mary reflects that. She would easily say, this is the son of my sorrow. But there is a long-term salvation, thanks to the blood of Jesus that is shed on the cross. There is a long, big picture concept behind the coming of Christ. And God can see that with his infinite perspective and call him the son of my right hand.
But think about also some famous residents from Bethlehem. You have, of course, Jesus. Everyone knows of Jesus, and you can work backwards from there to some interesting characters in history. But most people probably wouldn't think to start when you're doing that with Rahab the harlot. Most people, when you think Rahab the harlot, their minds will go to Jericho. Well, that's where we first meet her. She's a harlot running a brothel in the wicked city that's about to be destroyed. But that's not where her story ends. Her story begins there, but it ends with her becoming a faithful follower of God. And she marries an Israelite named Salmon. And they have a, a child that they raise up in the Israelite faith named Boaz. And so her story begins in a place of sin, but it ends with her moving with her Israelite husband to a new town, starting a new life in Bethlehem. Now, isn't that just wonderful? And I don't think it's a coincidence. And then, of course, you have the, the wonderful story of Ruth, whose story begins in Moab, but it doesn't end in Moab. It begins with Ruth as a daughter-in-law whose mother-in-law is returning to her home in Bethlehem. And Ruth desires to return with her. I want to live where you live, she says, and I'll worship the God you worship. And that happens to be Jehovah. And like Rahab, Ruth finds a new life in Bethlehem. And all because she desired to live with a mother-in-law, she ended up finding a husband of her own. And the application is, Jesus invites us to live with him. In John 14, he says, there is room for us in his father's house. In John 15, he tells us to abide in him, in his house of spiritual bread, to become a part of the family of God, the basket of fruitfulness. I have a house. Me personally, it carries my name. I have my children who obey me in that house, and I provide for them their daily bread. But Christ also has a house. He also has it carrying his name, and God's children obey him in it, and he providentially provides for us our spiritual daily bread. So I st study the life of Ruth, and I see this character beginning one way, but ending in Bethlehem. Well, I see, I see a lot of myself there, and how I can learn to trust in God to take care of me too. And then, of course, there's David. This is the city of David's birth. It was home to his father, Jesse, and his grandfather, Obed, and his great-grandfather, Boaz, who was the husband to Ruth, and his great-great-great-grandfather, Salmon, who was the husband to Rahab, the harlot. Again, Rahab, the harlot, she made a fresh start in Bethlehem, and she fell in love and married Salmon, and they had a son who fell in love and married Ruth, who had a son, who had a son, who had a son named David, who became king of Israel and in whose lineage came Jesus, the Christ King. Bethlehem was the place where David was anointed king, fitting then that his long descendant would be Jesus born. Not anointed the way David was anointed, but anointed as birth with the choir of angels singing, glory to the newborn king. This is also, Bethlehem is, the place where David died. Listen to 2 Samuel 23. I'm going to read verses 14 through 16. David was then in a hold and put in the garrison of the Philistines, was then in Bethlehem. And David longed and said, Oh, that one would give me drink of the water of the well of Bethlehem, which is by the gate. And three mighty men broke through the host of the Philistines and drew water out of the well of Bethlehem that was by the gate and took it and brought it to David. Nevertheless, he would not drink thereof, but poured it out unto the Lord. So you have the setting here is a battle against the Philistines who are just outside the city. And David calls for his soldiers to pierce the Philistine defenses. And he tells his soldiers, I would love a drink of water from Bethlehem's well. So cut through those, those army of enemies and bring me some water from Bethlehem's well. And they do that. Those emboldened soldiers, they fight for their, for their ruler and they break through the lines and they bring him back the water. But 
and it maybe it's nearby, maybe it's on the exact same spot where his great times ten granddad Jacob poured out a drink offering to God. But when David gets that water there on the outskirts of Bethlehem, he too pours out the water as a drink offering to God at the same site where his great descend ancestor rather delivered his drink offering to God. And that is the place because of that and because of the fact that David was born there that it came to be known as the city of David, which takes us, of course, to its final resident, Jesus the Christ, the giver of bread, the architect of our fruitful adoption, the child of David's lineage, the king born in the king's birthplace. Luke 2.11. The writer says, For unto you is born this day in the city of David, the Savior which is Christ the Lord. That's the angels delivering the message to the shepherds. We'll come back to them in a second. We thank God for Bethlehem, home to many great heroes of faith, the resting place of Rachel, it's the resting place of David, it's the birthplace of Jesus, our Savior and King. Let me make just one more historical note about Bethlehem. Did you know that Bethlehem has had great significance to Israel in Jesus' life? Now, of course, Jesus is born there. He grows up modest. He grows up not famous, not even infamous, just not famous. He was a nobody from eventually Galilee. He comes down to Jerusalem and to that region, and he teaches and preaches and becomes famous shortly before his death. But for most of his life, he's not a famous person. His birthplace is therefore not famous for most of his life, and yet, at least not with connection to him, and yet for all of his life, Bethlehem was famous place, and not just historically famous. It wasn't just famous because, oh, David was born there, or David was anointed there, or uh, Ruth came there. No, 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 that's not what made it famous. At that moment, at the time of Jesus' life, it had a present-day significance. In Luke 2, the, the famous text that Linus, of course, quotes in the Charlie Brown special. Notice verse 8, and make some notes with me from verses 8 through 12. Verse 8 says, There were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. What country? Well, it's the country that Mary and Joseph are in at the time, which is the Judean region, the southern portion of the Roman-occupied uh, whole Jew Jewish land. And the shepherds are keeping watch over their flock. Their flock of what? Geese? No, their flock of lambs. Verse 9 through 11 of Luke 2. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Of course, that's Bethlehem. Verse 12. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. Now, the the... The grammar seems a little backwards here. The angel is not saying the baby being wrapped is the sign. He's saying the, the sight of all these angels, or this one angel who's about to be joined by the whole host of them singing, Hark the Herald, angels sing. The, the, this whole thing, the angel says, is the sign for you. Now go to the city of David and find the child who's born, wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. So look for him in a shepherd's cave where they would keep their animals at night. Look for a baby laying in a manger as his bed. And there you'll find the king. Now, Judea is a big country. So these shepherds are in somewhere Judea, and they have to get all the way to Bethlehem. And it, by, the, by the sound of it, they're going to get there within the night of his birth. Well, how are they going to get there in time? And the reason is because these shepherds are very likely in the outskirts of Bethlehem already, keeping watch over their flock. Now, why do I think that? 
It's because, did you know, Bethlehem was the place where lambs destined for Passover slaughter were born and raised and kept watch over by shepherds who kept them and who, who helped them along until the time came when they were sent to Jerusalem, not too far away, to be slaughtered for Passover. Set aside for sacrifice later in life, but in the meantime, born and brought up in Bethlehem, just like my master, the Bethlehem lamb, who was born there and brought up, maybe not necessarily in the city of Bethlehem, but brought up to life to go die at Passover time. And he died for me. So yes, when I think about Jesus and I think about his death and his sacrifice, naturally my mind goes to Jerusalem and it goes to the cross just on the outside of the gates of Jerusalem on the hill of Golgotha. And when I think about Jesus, I can't help but reflect when I talk about his death, his whole life story, which at least on this earth begins with a manger and a mother who was given a gift by God in Bethlehem. And the great significance that Bethlehem holds as the birthplace of my king and as the house of bread that I get to take part in. Thank you very much. And while I've got you on the phone, if you want to subscribe, you can do so by going to anchor.fm slash Matthew-Martin 414. I've got uh, free audio files here and there that I'll release every now and then. But for the most part, I put everything behind a massive giant paywall where you have to pay upwards of, I think it's 99 cents a month. So if you can, if you can manage that a dollar a month, <clears throat> that's, you know, it's not easy, but if you want to whip out a buck, then you get hundreds of audio files of all of my sermons and classes and devotionals. So it's uh, anchor, A-N-C-H-O-R dot F-M slash Matthew, M-A-T-T-H-E-W dash Martin 414 and hit subscribe for a buck, and you get all my hundreds and hundreds of audio files. All right. Thank you.